Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, joined in just a moment by Tyler Calvaruso. We've got a lot to discuss when it comes to Penn State in the transfer portal, but we broke it down last week. A lot happening. There was a key pickup with Julian Fleming. There's been another former five-star addition, another former in-state standout, and Nolan Rucci added to the offensive line plan for 2024. We'll discuss that along with this first wave of Penn State's 2024 freshman class that has now arrived on campus, is underway with class, is underway with their acclamation to the Nittany Lions football program. College football moves on fast. It feels like we were just watching this team wrap up the season in Atlanta. Quite frankly, we were just doing that. And all of a sudden, a new semester underway, a lot of new names to know, some names to say goodbye to. Uh, we'll talk about that and more with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon as well, who will join us later on in the show. And now that the national championship has been determined in the 2023 college football season with Michigan beating Washington on Monday night, we'll talk about Mark, myself, and Daniel what are the key steps forward this Penn State football team is going to need to make between now and next season to put themselves in contention for a national title next year? And obviously, we know with the 12-team playoff expansion, it's a different kind of conversation. Maybe you can afford to lose more than a game along the way. So we'll break that down. We'll also finish this episode with some focus on Penn State basketball. They had a big win on Sunday in Philadelphia, uh, kind of riding the ship here at an interesting time as conference action begins to heat up across the Big Ten. But we begin, as I said, with transfer portal focus. We do that with Tyler Calvaruso here at the top of the show. Tyler, welcome back on board. Happy to have you. We've got some, some things to catch up on. We've got some commitments to catch up on. And as we discuss every time you come on, between now and when this episode goes live, we may have even more to discuss over at lines247.com. Yep, that's just the nature of the portal, man. But uh, it's good to be back here on with you. Well, Julian Fleming was our centerpiece focal point last week. Uh, when, you know, he was the name that, that when we sat down Thursday, uh, you know, had freshly committed uh, relatively uh, you know, soon after that. He is here on campus moving in. And as he's in the process of that, we were able to, to get him on the phone for a conversation. Uh, we had Julian and myself uh, on a phone call. Uh, for about 10 minutes on Friday afternoon, I'm not sure who else he ended up speaking with, if anyone else, uh, before he got to campus. So we were you know, very fortunate to have that and, and what was a busy week for him. Uh, first time I had personally spoken with Julian since he was uh, still back at, at Southern Columbia as one of the top prospects in the high school level. Um, so there's a lot to catch up on, Mr. Calvary. So I don't know where you want to start with some of the answers that he gave us, but to me, I thought his uh, he was very forthright and kind of where he was making the next move. He, he was looking to cut through any BS that was out there. He wasn't really looking to go through the recruitment process again. He narrowed his focus almost immediately after about 12 hours of phone conversations the first couple of days in the portal. It was Nebraska. It was Penn State that had his interest. And as we were reporting on in, in real time back then, the first week of his uh, transfer portal uh, experience, he's back here in Pennsylvania, uh, back here in Penn State football facilities. A remarkable transition for a guy who, you know, a week prior to that is trying to help Ohio State finish the regular season unbeaten against Michigan, the eventual national champions. And then all of a sudden, there he is back face to face with James Franklin. And this was one of James Franklin's. Uh, most pre premier priorities in the in-state recruiting realm that he's had in a decade on the job. I think the best place to start, man, is with you. Because, I mean, you did a heck of a job on this story. It was a great read. It really laid everything out really in a pretty accurate manner based on what we've been hearing behind the scenes. You know, everything about that story was great. It was great to get Julian's insight into his process and what led him back to Penn State. 
And just the entire, all the quotes in the article and everything that you wrote, it's just, it speaks to the business-like manner that Julian Fleming played this whole process with. You know, he quickly filtered through his options. He heard from a bunch of schools in the portal, quickly narrowed down to two, Nebraska and Penn State. And, you know, Penn State, it, it was his first visit out of the portal. He heard from James Franklin before anyone else. And, you know, there was always going to be a push to get him back to state college. And it wound up coming together in relatively short order. You know, I know, I know things kind of dragged on with the announcement, but this one was one of those ones that we, we knew where it was heading behind the scenes, you know, a week or two, maybe even longer, depending on the timeline. I have to go back and look at the calendar, but we knew where this one was heading. And I think Julian Fleming wants to get this one done sooner rather than later, just, you know, get a head start on the next chapter of his career. But the one thing that really stood out to me about, you know, Julian's mindset and just his whole thought process while he was trying to find a new home was his interactions with Marcus Higgins. You know, for him to go on record and say that his conversation with Higgins when he visited Penn State was one of the best conversations he's had with a receivers coach or any coach in general talking ball in a really long time. You know, that says a lot. Cause I mean, Brian Hartline does a great job with the receivers at Ohio State and he got Fleming coached up pretty well. But, you know, he comes to Penn State, he gets a chance to talk to Higgins. It's a fresh, it provides a fresh perspective. You know, and fresh perspectives are always appreciated, really, in any circumstance, because you get to look at your game through a different lens. You get to see how you could develop and improve through a different lens. That's what Hagen's provided him. And it seemed like Fleming really just enjoyed every second of it. And he enjoyed Hagen's as a person as well. You know, someone that you cannot just learn from and get better from, but also coexist with and, you know, enjoy being around on a daily basis in the wide receiver room. So that was something that stood out to me. Just he was very complimentary of his time at Ohio State, you know, pure professionalism all the way through from Julian Fleming. And I think that's what Penn State fans can expect from him throughout 2024. You know, he's going to, when he gets to get, he's going to put his head down. He's going to get to work. He's going to look to be a leader in this room. He's going to look to end his collegiate career with a bang, being one of Penn State's best receivers in 2024. That's the goal here. And, you know, it's pretty clear that's what he wants to accomplish. I know our colleagues over at uh, Bucknuts, the, the Ohio State home here on the 24-7 Sports Network, had, had, had you know thrown our story over on their thread. They thought that uh, over on their site, they thought that their readership might be interested in it. And and I've got to say 90% of the responses, and you never know on a message board with, with fanatics, you never know. We, we have our own. Uh, 90% of the responses were very supportive of Julian yeah. Fleming. For at least 11 of those 12 regular season games that Penn State's going to have next year. Of course, Ohio State coming to Happy Valley uh, won't necessarily be cheering for Fleming in that game. But I think it said a lot about how he went about his business for those four years. Uh, you know, he, he he did start 20 of the final 23 games in, in his Buckeyes career that he was playing. But, you know, when you are – I think it's important. We're like, well, he's a former number one wide receiver. Why didn't it happen? Why didn't he become the go-to guy? Well, well the guys that he was starting alongside this year was uh, – one, another former number one overall receiver in Nagbuka, in, in and then also the Heisman Trophy finalist in Marvin Harrison Jr. So uh, I thought it was really interesting to hear the way he a couple times circled back to his experience for four years in that wide receiver room. And it's one thing for us to discuss it, and we did last Thursday on the podcast, the room that he's exiting compared to the room he's entering now. But Marvin Harrison is going to be at least the fourth guy who's a first-round pick out of that Ohio State receiver's room since Julian Fleming shows up and starts competing for a spot in that rotation. Um, and, and not only does he get a spot in the rotation, he does break through as a starter. Injuries are an issue there, and also just the ability to rise to the to be the cream of the crop in that particular room. And something he said that he learned along the way was not just that – not much that you have to kind of ditch the I'm the number one guy thing early in college. And he feels like he, he he's evolved from that. He thought he would kind of live and, and be the number one guy for a long time. And then you realize you come to college, you get humbled a little bit. 
And so Fleming comes back to Penn State, it sounds like tremendously mature the way he describes it, but also ready to lead. He talked about showing up at a college campus and, and you really do have to, to watch and learn for a period of time. He's feel like he has done the watching and learning. And it sounds like he's really ready to show up here. Um, as of this week now, he's, you know, since we talked, you know, he's, he's underway with his Penn State career. Um, really curious to see how that meshes with what's already going on internally in the receiver room, um, how that maybe lends a hand to Marcus Higgins now and winter workouts, uh, when you get the spring spring practices and, and all the periods that you're away from coaches' eyes, I just wonder what it might mean for, for how this group evolves a bit between now and let's say the end of this spring semester, not even preseason camp when, when that room will change even more, but just where it is versus what we saw in Atlanta versus where it's going to be when spring ball comes to a close and how Fleming is able to maybe change some things. I think it's definitely possible you'd see a pretty tangible change in mindset and just overall outlook. You know, the talent in the room is there. You know, the results were what they were in 2023. But, you know, there are some talented guys in that room still. And then you add someone like Julian Fleming who kind of, you know, comes in, becomes sort of like a quarterback of the wide receiver room. You know, one of those lead-by-example guys, the younger guys in the room are going to look at Fleming and, you know – try to take after him and emulate what he's doing because he's going to be doing things the right way. He did things the right way throughout his Ohio State career. He's going to be looking to do the exact same thing, come on over to Penn State and looking to mentor, maybe rub off on some of these younger guys. So I think, you know, as this offseason continues to play out and you go through offseason workouts and you get to spring ball, you get to the blue white and then you approach fall camp, you know, we're still going to have to see who comes and goes in the wide receiver room. You know, you never know with the nature of the transfer portal when it opens back up. But, you know, really it comes down to this. I think Fleming can make a pretty big impact when it comes to changing the mindset of the wide receiver room. And I think you could see that come to fruition, you know, once spring practices get underway, once the blue-white game takes place. Then when you get to fall camp, you have a wide receiver room that they're ready to roll. They're hungry and their heads are in the right place. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to follow along that room because there's so many unproven pieces in it. And in, and in some very significant ways, Julian Fleming himself, and, and he'll even he'll probably put it out there that he's unproven. He wants to prove some things this year in, in a different way. He wants to prove what he can do as maybe the catalyst for a pass attack. Um, and, and, and he wants to prove what he can do when healthy as well. I think that's a really important component of all of this for Fleming in year five. And, and I'll just note this, that Fleming, you know, confirmed James Franklin was the guy who initiated contract uh, contact on behalf of Penn State. When, when Fleming's in the portal waiting to see who's going to show up in, in that inbox, you know, or who's going to show up on, on the call waiting, it's James Franklin leading the way for Penn State. And I just think that we so often talked about how, he called it himself Rocky, kind of the way it went when, when Penn State wasn't the choice and Ohio State was. Um, he said that he feels like there was a bit of a kind of a narrative out there that he badmouthed the Nittany Lions on his way out of Pennsylvania and making that move to Columbus. He think he doesn't agree with that. He doesn't feel like he badmouthed Penn State. Um, but he he actually acknowledged though that he got into that Penn State facility four or five years down the road, six and a half years after they first offered him. And he felt like the people that he was seeing again, they had grown up. They had, they had, they were different than the last time they had interacted. And he says he knows they felt the same way. So it's interesting to see these these two different parties intersect on this particular timeline. And then you add Julian Fleming, what we thought he could be coming out of high school to what we know about this offense, which 
does feature these two dynamic running back figures in Catron Allen and Nick Singleton and does feature the recent number one overall quarterback recruit in Drew Aller that needs help. And we know that the tight end room brings back a big time talent in Tyler Warren. And you start to think, wow, the, the pieces are right there. And Julian Fleming did note that during his visit to campus before he announced the commitment, Andy Kotelnicki and him sat down went through what his role was going to be, uh, just got a chance to really understand how the offense was going to operate. Um, and Fleming, certainly a sense of excitement hearing him on Kotelnicki. We're not going to rehash an entire 1,500-word story, uh, but you can go check that out, lines247.com. A lot more from Julian Fleming uh, from our conversation. Uh, and this is definitely uh, going to be one of the top storylines, I think, really across Big Ten football when you look at Penn State having a serious need for a, a big-time receiver a production kind of season and the fact that Julian Fleming not only goes from Ohio State to Penn State but comes back home as a former number one receiver prospect. Just a lot of stuff around this one. And, and Tyler, same can be said for the other pickup that we got to get to, Nolan Rucci, uh, former five-star in his own right, offensive tackle position. Uh, this was a, a 2020, uh, 2021 prospect uh, that that had so much focus on him coming out of, the, uh, coming out of high school ends up going to Wisconsin, follows his older brother there who's a tight end. His father, a former Penn State offensive lineman, went on to be a, a key player for a long time with the New England Patriots in the NFL. So a lot of people thought early, much like Julian Fleming, when you know there was an offer as an underclassman, people had him kind of pegged to, as being an eventual Penn State player. There's plenty of photos in our 24-7 database of Rucci hugging James Franklin at different games in Beaver Stadium as a high school prospect. Spent his first few years on a college campus in Big Ten territory far away from here, but he'll now be settling in. This one worked so quickly, Tyler Calvaruz. So talk us through how it happened and what exactly the Nittany Lions think they're getting in Nolan Rucci out of Warwick, Pennsylvania. Yeah, quickly is definitely the best way to describe it. You know, he hits the portal late last week, makes it to Penn State for a visit on Saturday morning, and then by the afternoon he's committed to the Nittany Lions. So, you know, this is one that definitely came together in short order, one where everyone was aligned and Rucci knew where he wanted to be, and Penn State staff knew that it wanted him. And really, look, you got to, you know, take into account Penn State's portal pursuits throughout the offseason. Offensive tackle has been a position, you know, that has been desired. You know, Phil Trotwin has been active in looking at tackles in the portal. It got one in Alan Heron, who before he wound up flipping – to Maryland. Now you have Rucci on board. You know, quite frankly, with there being, you know, spots up for grabs at tackle and across the offensive line, you know, Penn State staff is always preaching competition and, you know, guys being able to come in and make an impact. I think Rucci definitely is going to have a chance to do that in 2024, probably mo more so than Heron, to be completely honest with you, because with Heron, it was more of a long term projection type thing, you know, coming up from Division Two, going to the Big Ten, he's probably going to need, you know, maybe a year you know, get right in the weight room, get acclimated with playing at a higher level. Rucci, you know, he didn't enjoy overwhelming game experience at Wisconsin, but he's a little bit more familiar with what it's going to require to succeed when he is on the field. You know, he saw action for Wisconsin in its bowl game against LSU. I believe he allowed a sack, but other than that, he held his own in that contest. You know, he's got multiple years of eligibility remaining, so – I think that, you know, again, we're talking about a former five-star guy, so the talent is there. Now it's up to the Penn State staff to, you know, kind of unearth that talent, see what it has here in Rucci. And I think Troutwin and company are definitely excited to do so because they want to bring them in otherwise. And, you know, I mean, just the pedigree here, the overall, you know, the, there's still the thought that there's upside here. So I think this is a pretty solid addition for the Nittany Lions. And it's like homecoming week this past week for Penn State. First you get Fleming, now you got Rucci on board.
Yeah, I think the the natural inclination for a lot of fans is, well, man, imagine if these guys maybe came here in the first place, what might it have looked like? With Rucci, who knows? I mean, uh, you know, he's obviously trying to chip away at getting a starting job at Wisconsin. It had not happened to this point. He did catch it, and there's you know plenty of video evidence of it in the last few days in the the Penn State Twitterverse, but uh, did catch a pretty uh, touchdown pass toward the tail end of a a win against Illinois, I believe it was this year, in Big Ten West competition to to, to win that game, uh, which is pretty cool to see. Uh, Reminds you a little bit of of how this guy can move around the open field at, at six foot seven plus, whatever he is right now but just a massive massive frame to work with and i mean i think it's night and day from from adding a guy from the division two level but you know i'll do respect to him and, and what he might be able to accomplish in his college career at maryland now moving forward but uh i, th- I think if you say okay you're losing him who are you gonna replace with i mean nolan rucci not only does he have game experience in in, in big 10 and in, in bowl play but he knows what it's like to be a part of a, a, a program chasing a power five or power five uh, conference championship a big 10 championship he has seen it he's been around it and obviously there's not going to be really a, a lot of surprises i think with penn state you talk about a, a kind of a seamless transition with julian fleming you are working with a new offensive coordinator a new quarterback um a, 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 a new receivers coach but the man at, at the head of the table is still the same guy who was at the head of the table when you were making all those recruiting visits he's still the same guy who was visiting your high school he's still the same guy that that got to know your family along the way so you're gonna have that familiarity in place with Rushi, built upon the fact that he's a legacy so there are a lot of trips that happen to this campus and a lot of penn state experiences that were not covered by recruiting reporters that that nolan Rucci went through as a kid because of, of 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 his family background um so i think getting him here to campus at their time they're doing it after you lose a couple starting offensive tackles that I think a lot of people would agree here, maybe one of the better bookend kind of seasons that they've had at the tackle position for this offensive line and, and quite some time between what you had at the All-American at the left side in Olu Fashionu, and then on the right side, Caden Wallace, who really helped his NFL stock during his final year on campus as a fourth-year starter. Those two guys move on. All of a sudden, Anthony Donka enters the equation, wrote about him last Friday at lines247.com about this newly brewed sense of excitement about what he was able to get done on the practice field in December and ultimately what he was able to get done with almost 50 snaps at right tackle against Ole Miss. But you start stacking names here. We knew a few of them. We didn't necessarily know Rucci was going to be a part of it uh, when we boarded our plane in Atlanta to come back. But you think about uh, Drew Shelton and the experience that he has accrued uh, at, at left tackle along the way. It wasn't the prettiest performance uh, against Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl, uh, but it's something to build off of at left tackle. It's something that you tack on to 300 regular season snaps, five test, uh, starts at left tackle the year before. Uh, Javen Williams, five-star tackle prospect just last year, got to campus in January of 2023. What do things look like for him now when he'll be a year and a half into his college football career? Chimdi Ono, one of the more impressive athletic specimens they brought to campus in 2023, a late riser on the recruiting trail. It ended up being a top 24-7 tackle prospect he is now going to be a year and a half into his college career when you get to preseason camp next year and then names like alex birchmeyer garrett sexton cooper cousins i'd qualify all those as more wild cards uh birchmeyer played some tackle more so guard he's got a, a top 100 prospect pedigree in his background not too long ago garrett sexton is someone that i'm, I'm really fascinated with what he's going to be at, at an offensive tackle for Penn State, but I think that's more about what he's going to be in 2025, 2026 than it is here in 2024. And then with Cousins, you just don't know, right, Tyler? I mean, he's a guy that could surface on the field for them in September at the center position. He could show up at guard, and, and if they need him to, he could be a tackle. 
we have seen him operate with Phil Troutwine at all those things leading up to his enrollment. He acknowledged that he feels like he can do all those things. Um, so those are a lot of names. And each of those I mentioned right there in that conversation, as I was just listing them, four-star guys, five-star guys, top 24-7, top 100 overall talents. I don't know who starts a tackle for uh, Penn State next year, but Phil Troutwine has a ton of clay to work with at the position. You know, Penn State, as much as it loves what it has in-house and what it is bringing in in its 2024 recruiting class, you know, going out and getting a guy like Rucci, just you can never have enough high-quality enough high depth in the trenches because you don't know what's going to happen on the injury front. You don't know how certain guys are going to develop. You know, some might pan out. Some guys you thought who were going to pan out, you know, maybe they don't for whatever reason. So, you know, the Penn State definitely has strength in numbers working in its favor. I mean, I'm really excited to see what Anthony Donka could do moving forward. I, you know, going back to the summer, we heard a lot about him as you know a riser, and I wrote, I believe it was late August before the opener against West Virginia, that I thought he was going to hang on to his red shirt. And, I mean, man, that kid can play. You know, I, I'm really excited about his future. Javen Williams, former five star, so you know what he's capable of. You know, it was interesting you bring up Cooper Cousins because he's garnered a lot of conversation on our board recently, you know, where could he fit in right off the bat as a true freshman in 2024? Could I see him working his way into too deep on the interior, maybe specifically at center? I think it's possible because as we've gotten to know Cooper Cousins throughout his recruitment, I mean, that guy's competitive edge is one of the best I've seen of any recruit I've covered. And, you know, that's saying a lot because we get the chance to cover some really, really talented kids here, but man, not many work like Cooper Cousins. That guy, he's got a different level that he taps into when the pads go on. So I could see it coming together, but I just urge Penn State fans to keep in mind, you know, it's a lot to ask of a true freshman, you know, getting going on the interior of a Big Ten offensive line right off the bat. It's a lot to ask. So we're going to have to see how he comes along. But, you know, we mentioned all the guys they already have in-house. Now you add Bruchy into the equation. It's just the offensive line, I think, is in a really good place moving forward. And I think it has the right guy coaching it up as well. I mean, Phil Trotwin has done some really good work. He's done some good work on the recruiting trail. So I think the future of the unit is very, very bright at this point. And we got to tip our cap to Frank Leonard, who, who's yes, been there as, as the right-hand man for, for a few years and, and, and a big focal component of, of what they want to accomplish there in the offensive line room on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and just, you know, another name, J.B. Nelson. We saw him mm -hmm. oh, uh, pretty exclusively at guard this year, and, and he was banged up at different times and, and ultimately didn't play much toward the tail end of the season because of an injury. But, uh, you know, he's got tackle experience at the junior college and high school level. And, and we've heard from Phil Troutwine in the past that he's someone they feel comfortable. You know, if they needed to play him in a game, he could do it. So there are a lot of options on the perimeter. Um, you know, and I'm just we've seen it take place. And maybe this is something we'll get into a little bit later here on this particular episode with Daniel and Mark. But rotations are something that that Phil has not shied away from as the offensive line coach here at Penn State. Uh, that goes for for all sorts of different positions. And, and I think that rotations could very much be in play next September at the tackle spot. Maybe they give themselves more than just spring camp and August camp to sort through all those names we just went through. Maybe there's an initial pecking order who's out there for the first couple of rotations, then who's out there for the third series. But we've seen it from them before at right tackle, at left guard, at right guard. Um, left tackle has been pretty locked down for the last couple of seasons, but I think you could certainly see different, different players uh, getting involved there. 
Tyler, we just spent a, a lot of time breaking down two key figures that have been added to this class and, and to this roster on the offensive side of the football with Julian Fleming. Uh, and then, of course, now Nolan Rucci, um, another player added to the defensive side of the football and another former Wisconsin Badger uh, announcing just within, I think, 24 hours of Nolan Rucci, actually just ahead of Rucci. And I know some folks were like, that's not the Wisconsin transfer we're looking for. They got Rucci a little bit later, but defender coming by way of Madison as well. Yeah, Jordan Mayer, defensive end, outside linebacker type. He's a Pennsylvania native. Played his high school ball at uh, Thomas Jefferson Clareton. And, you know, he spent his first year at Wisconsin. He he was a Paul Christ committee. He was, he was committed to that step. Luke Fickle comes in. He sticks with the Badgers. You know, he wound up not really being a fit in that system. So, you know, he's going to come to Penn State in the scheme where his skill sets and his strengths, you know, they'll be able to be utilized more and he'll be able to play in a system where he's probably more comfortable than what he was doing at Wisconsin. Pretty good player, you know, pretty good depth addition, in my opinion. Still young, multiple years of eligibility remaining. I got to know him a little bit because he was a Boston College commit back when I was covering BC. I got to know him a little bit. Good kid. You know, he's one of those guys. We talk about Julian Fleming as a guy who's going to show up and get to work. Jordan Mayer is going to show up and get to work, too. So I think this is a pretty good depth addition for Penn State on the defensive line. A guy uh, Deion Barnes might be able to make use of in 2024 and beyond. Interesting influx of, of Big Ten uh, veterans now. You're getting guys who have, have gone through it with other Big Ten programs. It's always interesting to see what they might be able to, to add perspective-wise to, to your program now that they're coming on board here at Penn State. Um, by the way, another transfer pickup at, at special teams earlier, in case you missed it. This was a few several weeks ago. A Tulsa kicker, Chase Meyer. He's a guy that's going to be involved in that competition at place kicker as they move forward with Alex Falcons, who was a one-and-done grad transfer pickup out of Columbia. Um, staying on the defensive side of the football and in the transfer portal, things are really picking up at cornerback. It's, it's a spot that you and I have focused on a few times during December and now into January as Penn State's been doing their diligence in the portal Seems like there are some definite names here rising toward the top and maybe a bit of a waiting game at this stage as we wait to see who's officially coming on board and perhaps within the next few days. Yeah, a pair of potential cornerback additions coming for Terry Smith and the former five-star from Georgia, A.J. Harris, and former Florida cornerback Jalen Kimber, who started his career at Georgia, your top 100 recruit coming out of Texas back during his high school career. So two potential additions for Penn State in that regard. You know, I wrote this morning, things are still tracking for Penn State. And what I meant by that was, you know, I'm still expecting those guys to enroll. You know, Penn State really has until the 13th here. You know, the, it could utilize the entirety of the late drop window. You know, it, there's plenty of time here. I know it's the ninth and, you know, all the fans want to see these guys locked in and in town. But you know, this, sometimes these things, they take a little bit to come together, but I'm still expecting, you know, everything to be perfectly fine for Penn State with A.J. Harris and Jalen Kimber. I think, assuming those two, you know, do indeed wind up shooting up for the Nittany Lions, Terry Schmidt's going to have two guys who can realistically compete for playing time in 2024, but they're also on different ends of the spectrum. You know, Kimber is more of a veteran. He's got multiple years of eligibility remaining, but he has starting experience from his time at Florida, you know, appeared in 25 games with the Gators over a span of two years. So he, you know, he, he knows what it's like to go up against high level competition on bright lights. So that's always a boost. Harris, I mean, Harris is as talented as any cornerback in the portal right now, just raw talent and skill set wise, you know, he might not have the same level of experience as Kimber or even to Tony Grimes who visited over the weekend and wound up committing to Michigan state. He might not have that kind of experience, but He's as talented as any cornerback in the nation looking for a new home right now. 
and right now it's looking like Penn State's going to be that home. So that's going to be a pretty big deal, I think, for Penn State's cornerback room in 2024 and beyond. I think Harris is one of those guys who could come in and not only really challenge for a starting spot right off the bat, but even if he doesn't win one, he's going to be playing a big part in your cornerback rotation. And just he's got a lot of good football ahead of him. I think that's the really the point of intrigue here for Penn State. You know, it knows Harris going back to when he was in high school down in Alabama. So it, it has a good feel for who he is as a player and a person. So all of that has kind of gone into this pursuit. But those two right now, it's looking good for Penn State. I think if, if you can pull off the Harris pickup, and I know you've got a crystal ball pick uh, in, in for them to do that and get him on board. And right now he's the number eight overall uh, player in the transfer portal by 24 seven sports assessment. That's pretty incredible when you consider all the talent in the portal. Um, this is a guy who's one year removed from signing with the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs as a five-star high school prospect. So if one, you're able to convince him on his first chance to come up for breath and reassess his decision, that happy Valley is the right place for him. And you're able to do that in January. And I'm looking outside right now. I know what happy Valley looks like in January. It's pretty gray and, and it's pretty white on the ground. Uh, if you can get this guy on board and to buy into what Penn state's selling here in the winter, that's huge. I think not just for what he can maybe provide your defensive backfield this year, Tyler, but maybe what it means that Penn State's selling right now uh, in, in the transfer portal. I mean, this is a, a different level of pickup if they're able to accomplish it. Um, so we'll be monitoring that. How about a wide receiver? This is the uh, the other spot that we said, just because you added Julian Fleming doesn't mean the job is finished quite yet for Marcus Higgins and company. Uh, what are we monitoring there? Yeah, job is definitely not finished. You know, they brought in LeJante West to the Florida Atlantic receiver transfer over the weekend for an official visit. They brought him in as the top target on its board, but he has since committed to Colorado. So that one's going to be, you know, done for Penn State. And that's fine. You know, Wester's a really good player, very talented, would have added a lot to Penn State's wide receiver, in my opinion. But the Nittany Lions have been talking to other wide receivers. You know, there are multiple potential pivot points here with Wester off the board. We're going to be getting into that on Lions 24 7 here in a little bit on the uh, Lions Pride board, so definitely stay tuned for that. But, uh, you know, Marcus Hagan and company, they're still working on adding to that receiver room. I would not anticipate Fleming being the only addition to the room. It feels like at some point Penn State will be able to get another one across the finish line. We just got to see who. But there are definitely some intriguing names that the staff is involved with. We're going to jump over with uh, to Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon in just a, a matter of minutes to, to talk about uh, other roster movement and, and some other things with Penn State football, eventually some Penn State basketball as well. But um, we, I think we're going to, you and I, maybe dive more into this early enrollment group later in the week. I was thinking about maybe inviting a friend onto the show as well to help us. I like friends. Down too, um, just because I think we needed to invest this half hour into yeah. transfer conversation, getting back to Fleming, getting back to Ruchi. I, I know we had more planned in our script, but I, I, let's just offer you this this question because you, you had a breakdown on Saturday. Hopefully folks caught it lines 24 seven of the early enrollment, early enrollment group that, that came to campus. And it's essentially, uh, you know, nearly two thirds of the entire recruiting class, 16 guys in total uh, accounted for with that freshman, uh, freshman wave that comes to the campus here in January. We'll get more on campus in May and, and June to finish off the class before preseason camp. But Tyler Calvaruso, when, when you look at this group, who are you most curious to see in spring ball from this early enrollment? And then looking a little more long term, who are you most excited to see in 2025? I know we have a lot more to discuss and explore from this group. We'll do that later in the week. You know, there are a few guys, so I'll just run through them real quick. I mean, Quentin Martin, I'm excited to see how Penn State utilizes him 
you know, he, he's a guy who could do a lot of different things at a high level. So I'm excited to see how Andy Kotelnicki uses him in the offense, given the fact that Kotelnicki looks for multiple ways to get his guys involved. Martin's a guy you could get involved in a lot of ways. So I'm interested to see how that comes together. I think him being on campus early will help his chances of playing early. On the defensive line, two guys I'm keeping an eye on, T.A. Cunningham and Xavier Gilliam, two maybe more under-the-radar guys in the class. You know, I, I think they receive plenty of attention. But when it comes to, you know, compared to other names in the class – a little bit under the radar, especially Gilliam. I think he could really be a guy for Penn State. He had himself a good senior season at Quinn's Orchard down in Maryland. So I think his arrow is pointing upwards. So right now it's those three. I mean, like you said, we, we could dive into it because this is a really, really good group that Penn State is welcoming. But off the top of my head right now, I'd probably say those three are the ones I'm really most interested in seeing where they're at going through off-season workouts, hanging in the spring ball. All right, good stuff, Tyler. Appreciate the perspective on that and the constant coverage of the transfer portal, which changes day to day. Uh, some positive vibes out of you in this segment about the portal. We'll see if we have some follow-up conversations and things can get done between now and the next episode. But uh, catch all of this content over at Lions247.com. We'll catch you soon, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's transition over to Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan right now on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Welcome back in, guys. Great to be here. Glad to be back. You guys, since we last spoke, made a trip to the city of brotherly love. I know Mark stopped in for a cheesesteak at, at a favorite of many over there on his way out of town. I hope you both maximized your trip to Philadelphia. Uh, a beautiful experience at the Palestra, I'm sure, and it turned out to be really good for Penn State basketball. We're going to dive into that to finish this episode just a little bit later and we'll see what maybe it means could it be a pivot moment for this Penn State team which has had its struggles in year one with a new regime and about to dive into a lot of conference action in the weeks and months ahead but let's get back to to the questions I just posed to Tyler we had initially planned on on breaking down this early enrollment group a bit more here on our Tuesday episode, but spent so much time discussing so, what the transfer portal is doing for Penn State right now instead. But those are two key areas that we can kind of chew on here to begin our segment. Let's start with the first question. Out of this 16-man enrollment group of freshmen, who are you most looking forward to seeing this particular spring? We're just separated from about, what, 10 weeks from seeing these guys out there and actually going through positional drill work and leading up to the blue-white matchup. 
Yeah, I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think with Liam Andrews, uh, I think that he's someone who had a very kind of interesting recruitment in terms of what side of the ball he would he would end up on in college. Um, you know, we've heard that he's a very good athlete. That he's someone that Deion Barnes really liked and um, you know wants to develop, especially on that interior. Uh, we know what the interior picture looks like for Penn State in 2024 a little bit better now, um, and he's not someone who. Uh, Penn State is going to need to step up. It's always hard to step up at those interior line spots. Um, but I think just I'm curious to finally get eyes in a kind of as close to a game situation as we can get on Liam Andrews, just because we've heard so much about him. He's a little bit of a unique prospect. And I want to see what that actually looks like when he's on the field lined up across from, you know, uh, a Nick Dawkins or a Vanga Ioane or a J.B. Nelson. Yeah, Mark, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go a little different. I think there's some low-hanging fruit here, but the one guy that – and I, I've mentioned him before that, that really stood out to me as I was watching the Penn State camps over the past 17 years was Cooper Cousins. I mean, you know, th this guy, he just – I think James Franklin said it. He he comes in at – I mean, we have him at 6'6", 323. He's, he's every bit of that, and he's just – he seems kind of advanced beyond his years, and I know that it's – going to be a stretch for him to be a starter as a true freshman you know as an offensive lineman but I think for this kind of guy who is so versatile that they're looking at him as somebody who can play all over the offensive line being able to come in early and then go through spring practice I think he's somebody who has the who has the opportunity to emerge as if not a rotational piece, at least a, a, a viable backup. You know, maybe one of those guys who, do, you know, they they look to redshirt, but they travel. And I just think we've seen we're seeing you know guys leave from the offensive line. Obviously, uh, with Olu and with uh, with uh, uh, the the center, I'm drawing a blank on it. Yeah, Hunter Hunter Norzad. Yeah, yep. Norzad. And uh, I just we saw last year injuries could come into play. Uh, you never know what's going to going to happen there. And we saw a couple of years ago, ago with Drew Shelton as a true freshman when he was kind of pressed into action. So I just think this guy could be like a utility knife on that offensive line that if they have the opportunity, and they will have the opportunity, Phil Troutwine will in spring practice, to work with him at multiple different positions and get him ready to go. Because physically – and I think uh, aggressively in all of those things, athletically, I think he has the ability to contribute, not to be a star, not to be a starter, but to contribute as a true freshman. Yeah, and the cool thing about Cooper Cousins, as Tyler and I were just discussing, is you, you could see him you know, be a factor at center. You could see him be a factor on the perimeter. You, you know, you are losing starters at both of those positions, which means maybe your number two guys becomes your starter. It's not always about finding the starter. It's about finding you know reinforcements for the roster right now and then developing starters as time goes on. I, I, in that kind of uh, vein, I'm going to go to the other side of the football and also on the perimeter, though. Uh, Jalen Harvey, you know, this was a guy that they battled for. And I know that he didn't have the big five-star marquee kind of uh, recruiting designation for, next to him, uh, his name a long way. But you look about uh, the teams that were valuing him and, and, and kind of, you know, how this battle came coast to coast in some ways with USC really making a push and Penn State holding on and beating them out uh, and, and ending up getting to the finish line. And, you know, he he's here on campus now and, and he's a guy that was called Baby Chop 
you know, on his way up in the Quince Orchard uh, football community, uh, you know, because of what the, the the big chop did down there and Chop Robinson becoming a five-star linebacker during his high school career and then ending up being an all-Big Ten defensive end, edge rusher here at Penn State and might make himself some first-round NFL money. So you'd love if Baby Shop grows up to be the next job for you. I don't know if it needs to happen right now. We've discussed what they're bringing back at defensive end and denied then a sudden leading the way there. But you look around the room and Amin Vanover and and, uh, and Zariah Fisher and Smith Vilbert as a six-year guy, and those are veteran pieces. And then you're really excited about what Jameel Lyons could do for you in year two after a bunch of flashes as a freshman. Could Jalen Harvey be on that Jameel Lyons kind of track? And could he get that track going in January? Because we heard so many good things about Jameel Lyons between August – and the end of bowl prep versus, you know, what if he had been on campus in January? What might his first year have looked like with with that extra patch of practices and extra um, you know, months of, of work? So you're going to see this guy get it in Jalen Harvey. Three straight high school seasons with with nine plus sacks. He had 13 sacks um, as a high school senior and, and nine more tackles for loss on top of that. So that's an area to me where it may seem like a luxury here in January. Oh, oh you know, finding another defensive end edge rusher. But we don't know what bigger roles are going to really look like over the course of a regular season for some of these guys and how they're going to respond to it. And so I think that Jalen Harvey may look like a luxury piece right now, but if he can become a proven commodity for you uh, halfway through this uh, freshman campaign of his in October, and, and that could go a long way towards shoring things up for them at defensive end. So the other part of that question, guys, was not necessarily guys that we're looking ahead to seeing in March and April, although we're looking ahead to seeing all of them and we'll get a chance to do that eventually. But who, when you look at this list, are you circling and saying, let's see what this guy looks like when spring ball 2025 opens? I, I almost went with with Grunkemeyer for for this year, just because, I don't know, I mean, when you look at him, and Daniel was able to see him actually in person at a game, we saw him at camps and at uh, the uh, Elite 11 or whatever. What was it here? I'm forgetting. I'm, last year was Elite 11. And, I'm forgetting we, everything yeah. from last year. Poor Hunter Norzad. He's already out of my mind. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward. But I just – this guy is just kind of a unique QB compared to kind of what they've had in a way – he can move around and throw from different arm angles. And, you know, it, when you're looking at 2025, I mean, the big question going into this year was, would Drew Aller even be there? I guess there's there's probably less questions about that now. We'll see how that works out for Drew uh, this year. But I just think he, he's a little different than the guys that you already have in the program. So uh, you have a new offensive coordinator. This guy seems like he would fit in really well with that kind of style. So that's one of the guys that I would be looking forward to. I almost said him this year, but I just think it's going to be tough because whatever anybody wants to say about the quarterback competition, I think Aller's going to be the guy regardless. And I think Bo Prabula is going to be the solid number two. And Jackson Smolik, he's worked his way. So I think you're going to be looking at a battle for maybe that number three spot with Grunkemeyer this year. But then I think that following year, it's going to be a whole different kind of ball game. And we know with quarterbacks, hey, may, maybe Aller goes to the NFL. You know, who who may transfer? We just don't know with the way quarterbacks go. So I think he's going to be really a guy to keep an eye on in that second year in the program. And Grunkemeyer, I, I think if he does remind you of somebody in the room, it's Drew Aller. You know, he's just three inches shorter and 40 pounds lighter. He's a different physical guy, but a little more nimble. The arm slots, you talk about some of the improvisational skills that he brings to the field. 
Uh, and, and those are aspects of Drew Aller's game that I know we'd love to see him get, getting more chance to shine here with the new offensive system. And I think we're all anxious to see that. But Daniel, have you recovered? Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I had my rundown in the wrong order. Um, so I was looking in the wrong spot. But um, I, I would say Quentin Martin uh, in, in year two. I, I think that there's not going to be that immediate need uh, in, in 2024 at running back. Um, if you have with Nick Singleton, with Katron Allen, you know, knock on wood, they both stay healthy. But then you also have Cam Wallace and London Montgomery who have been in the program for a year. Uh, we know that Quentin Martin has a very versatile skill set. So after another year in the program, um, maybe Andy Kotelnicki has unlocked some things. Maybe Jaylon Sider has unlocked some things with different ways that they can use him um, to take advantage of, of what he's capable of. Um, I think that we know what he can do catching the ball. I think that's a very intriguing part of his skill set. Um in terms of, uh, you know, versatility and adding something different to an offense. Um, maybe we see some of that this fall. We'll have to wait and see. But I think that after a year in the program, um, Penn State should have a better idea of how to use someone like him, put him in some interesting situations, and then he can deliver a little bit. Yeah, to, to me, it's it's uh, probably Garrett Sexton, guys, because he, he's just, he's, you know, when you hear him getting called an athletic unicorn and then everyone's kind of doubling and tripling down on those kind of statements and, and we're seeing him at, at camp in, in July, you know, run the 40 yard dash at the six foot six. And you're like, well, he's moving just differently than you're supposed to at that size. And you get some of the backstory, you fill in some of that. Well, yeah, he's he was a sub 200 pound quarterback as an as an underclassman in high school. And now here he is as a top 24 seven offensive tackle prospect out of Arrowhead High School in Heartland, Wisconsin. And he's a guy that, that Big Ten teams and SEC teams want to be playing in the trenches for them. So it's a pretty remarkable story. It's the kind that I think we hear a lot in the first round of the NFL draft these days at the tackle position out of, you know, out of anybody, you know, former tight ends or a former basketball forward or a former guy who grew out of a position and was able to preserve his athleticism while growing up and blowing up into an offensive lineman. You know, does it end up with that kind of a finish for him after Penn State? I don't know, but it's a long way to, to, to go and a lot to learn about Garrett Sexton. But at a position where I think Phil Troutwine has stockpiled really as much clay as you could possibly hope for uh, at this level of football, he really may be the most uh, the most long-term interesting component of that. I, I think Nolan Rucci enters the conversation now, and I'm still very high on what he can be at his size, and he's still got a lot of eligibility ahead of him. And uh, But at the tackle position specifically, and, and because of where he's come from the last three years and what he could do in the next three, Garrett Sexton's my guy that, that I want to see what does he look like in 2025 after spending a year at the training table, getting that caloric intake bump uh, and, and putting in some work here under Phil Troutline and Frank Leonard. So a lot to, to, to kind of process and, and to, to keep tabs on with this freshman group. We will start to get a chance to see him at some campus events um, as the schedule unfolds here in, in the winter and the offseason and certainly in the spring. Uh, but as usual, uh, not going to be permitted to speak with media uh, during the duration of year one unless something changes there. So um, hopefully you're able to catch some of our conversations leading up with some of these early enrollees on the podcast in recent weeks and months. And we have a lot of content coverage that is still to come your way at lines247.com from some late interviews with a bunch of these guys uh, before they made their move to campus and moved in as Penn State student athletes. But guys, moving ahead a little bit, uh, and, and I don't want to keep you out of the conversation because it is the conversation in Happy Valley right now. How about the homecoming uh, You know, taking place right now? Nolan Rucci, 
Julian Fleming. I know we spent a lot of time talking about the Fleming pickup last week when you guys joined the podcast. And since then, I had a chance to speak with him. We had more coverage of that. We, we kind of rehashed a bit of that with Tyler on, on the first top of the segment. But then you tack on Saturday, getting Nolan Rucci to join the party. Two former five stars, guys who you prioritized for years as in-state high school prospects. Mark, really interesting to see these particular players come full circle and end up wearing Nittany Lions uniforms in 2024. Yeah, the one guy I could talk about, uh, you know, with, with a little different perspective is Nolan Rucci because my first year full-time on the beat was 1988, and that was when his dad was a true freshman, part of a unbelievable recruiting class that included Tony Saka, by the way, who I think has a son who Penn State's kind of checking out. But, you know, the thing about people are looking at Nolan Rucci as this guy who, you know, five-star – Things didn't really click for him at, at Wisconsin, but I think you would be wise to go back and, and look at what happened with his dad at Penn State. I mean, his dad came in, really did not play his first three years in a program, redshirted as a true freshman. By his fourth year, he was splitting time with, uh, I think it was Paul Seaver as, a, uh, as an offensive lineman, and then his fifth year, he was a starter. And, you know, I think if you don't know the history, you know, this was a guy who went on to be a second round NFL draft pick, played eight years in the league for the Patriots and was 75 starts, was named to the Patriots all decade team of the 90s. My point being, sometimes with offensive linemen, it takes you a little time. You know, I know I just got done talking about Cooper Cousins, but sometimes it takes guys a little bit of time. And if this kid is anything like his dad, Maybe he's going to follow that same, you know, there's potential that he could follow that same sort of timeline. So, uh, listen, I would have to imagine that back when he was making his decision, his brother was already at Wisconsin. You're a young kid. I think it's maybe the same thing with Fleming. You're looking at maybe doing something different than everybody expects you to do. And you go out and it doesn't quite work out. And I think the fact that both of these guys are coming back is is good for them and good for the Penn State program. But particularly with Rucci, because he has the family ties. His dad was on, was, uh, on the board of trustees for a little bit. His mom graduated from the school. I think it's just such a natural fit that if things didn't work out at a very good program like Wisconsin, why not come back and why not try to follow kind of that pattern that your dad set way back when? Daniel, when you look at these two pickups, both of them grabbing their own headlines, um, what stands out to you as the, the potentially the bigger one here in, in 2024? And, and maybe it's an easy answer because you're only getting Fleming for one. Yeah, I, I think the immediate impact, you, you look at Julian Fleming uh, just because of the state that that wide receiver room was in. Um, and I think that based off of reading you know, your conversation with him, I mean, I think that he is someone who is poised to come in and, and make an impact in a number of different ways. I think that that maturity is going to help that room. I think that you know, you've got so many young guys in there. You're going to have a lot of you know, second, third year guys that haven't played a ton of football. I think that having someone like Julian Fleming with that mindset in there is going to be very, very valuable to them. Um, so I, I think that when you look at where things are right now, I mean, I think that it's also easier with a skill position guy to kind of just say, yeah, he'll come in and do that. Um, you know, Rucci did not play much at Wisconsin. Um, I think that he's on that. I wouldn't even say that he's necessarily on a, a late bloomer track. It's just kind of a, a different track. Um, you know, because of how lineman development can just be really different for everyone. Um, you know, there are going to be opportunities for him. You know, you're going to replace both starting, uh, both starting tackles from a, a 10 win team. Um, 
you have guys that have a lot of experience like Drew Shelton, but the competition and, and how Rucci factors in there should really be interesting. But I just think that when you look at where this program is, where this roster is, I think that things are really set up for Fleming uh, to be a, a you know almost a day one impact. And talking about this roster, um, an update uh, happened online to the website, and we're, we're always curious about those as they pop up now, now and again during the offseason, which is underway. Uh, we have not seen a bunch of the players added to this point, but we have seen some players sticking around on the 2024 roster and a few also going missing, which we'll get to in a moment. But uh, one that's still around and one that we figured would be because he told us is Hakeem Beeman. He announced toward the end of last week that like Devon Ellis, he's going to stay on the defensive line. He's going to uh, add a ton of experience to the defensive tackle position in 2024 by staying on campus. And he's somebody that it feels like year in, year out, even with a missed season and kind of an unexplained absence season with, with Akeem Beeman, he's been on that verge of a breakout. The complexion of his career probably changed a bit this year when Devon Ellis goes and, and kind of snatches the starting job right out from underneath him. At least it seemed like it was Beeman's starting job coming out of preseason camp. And it was Durant and it was Ellis the rest of the way. So it was first teamers. But you've got Kaziah Izzard. You've got Alonzo Ford coming back uh, off of an injury. He was a, a pickup uh, out of Old Dominion last year in the transfer portal. There's other emerging players like a Caleb Aris, a Devon Townley. But, Daniel, going to Hakeem Beeman, I believe you had the story up at, at lines247.com. What stands out to you about his decision? Not necessarily a shocking one, but a guy that, again, I think our expectations for him are, are, are have changed in the last two, three years. I think that it's, it's one of those positions where if you can be older, bigger, and stronger, uh, that can really go a long way. I mean, if you're between him and Ellie's, if you've got a two, 23, 24, four-year-old defensive tackles going up against 19, 20, 21-year-old offensive linemen on the interior. I mean, I think that that's something where you can have an advantage there, but it's kind of the, it's it's another chance for Hakeem Beeman. I mean, we've been waiting for that breakout for a while, especially over these past two years when he came back from that absence. It Last year, we heard a lot of really good things about him during the preseason uh, we've we've heard more good things about him before this season, and you're still kind of waiting for that to translate into some significant counting stats. Um, I, I think that he's someone that can make an impact for them. I, I think that you know, returning your top three defensive tackles and Durant, Beeman, and Ellie's, I mean, I, I think that's huge at a position like that. Um, there's a lot of value there. It's hard to find those those big guys that can, you know, plug up space in the middle and and rush from the interior. So I think by having those having those guys that helps the the guys behind them gives them a little bit more cushion to develop uh, a little bit more but it, it will be interesting to see what that competition looks like because you factor in someone like alonzo ford uh someone like davon townley you, you think about caleb artist is going to be in his third year the tie landing is someone we heard some good things about <clears throat> excuse me good things about who redshirted and then jordan vandenberg too um, so I, I think that there's a lot of names, man. There yeah, a lot of names. They're not losing anybody. They, they don't have a single scholarship guy coming off of the ledger as of right now. Exactly. So I, I think by having you know that that top of your depth chart back uh, from what was a good defensive line last year, I think that's really significant. Um, and I think it also gives the the guys behind them, um, you know, a chance to really, really compete. Um, and, and really kind of drive each other. I mean, that's going to be a room where even though Ellie's and, and Beeman are coming back with Durant, I mean, it seems like nothing is really going to be given there with the amount of talent and the amount of bodies that are there. 
it's a spot that we've gotten used to saying, you know, it doesn't really matter who starts either because the, the guy who comes in second could end up leading the way in snaps. Uh, Mark, the other the other two names that we wanted to get to uh, on the on the you know, on the lines here, Sal Wormley and Smith Vilbert, both still on the roster. Uh, neither of that is, is surprising uh, based on the way James Franklin talked about Smith Vilbert when he ruled him out for the 2023 season and, and what they felt like they were getting able to do with his remaining eligibility. Uh, and then when it comes to Sal Wormley, I, I spoke to two or three players and, and his name came up in the post game down at the Peach Bowl. And it was about him you know, in the present tense being with the team. Um, and he's a guy that it would be a sixth year senior. He would be a third year starter potentially at guard. And just starting there, Mark, what this could do for you is certainly keep the rotational approach in play with, with the bodies that they have at guard and the talent that they have at guard. I'm also curious if this maybe frees up Venga Yuane to get more training at center because it's something that he started to do more of in year two. I saw him snapping the football during pregame uh, warmups and, and Mercedes-Benz Stadium be before they played Ole Miss. Nick Dawkins is, I would call him the projected leader of the pack right now at center, but I, I think this could really give them more flexibility. We talked about what they have brewing at tackle and the depth there. This gives them some changeable parts, I think, if Sal Wormley is indeed go for launch here in 2024. Yeah, the other thing I think warmly brings to the table that that may be underlooked is is the opportunity to emerge as a leader because you're losing a couple of really strong ones in Olu and Caden Wallace and Hunter Norzad, who I remembered his name this time. So, you know, if you're looking for leadership in that room, and warmly was a guy that we had an opportunity to speak to multiple times this year, and he's definitely different than I thought when I first talked to him early in his career when he was kind of shy and reserved uh you know you see he, he's not afraid to use very colorful language and uh you can see where that would kind of work among his teammates so you know besides being a veteran player who's played some good football for you I think having somebody with those leadership skills I mean you you also lost Landon Tangwell who I think was a young leader uh in that room so I think there'll be a lot of eyes on him. Uh, from that respect, and I think it's good that he's coming back. And I think he'll have an opportunity to improve his draft stock too because I think he was up and down this year. Uh, you know, don't think he was as consistent as maybe probably he hoped he would be, and I think that'll be uh, helpful for him as well. And then I, I don't want to uh, not address Smith Vilbert because that has an opportunity to be a feel really a feel-good story. From a guy who a couple years ago was out, we had no idea why, he comes back for the bowl and ends up with three sacks. And then, I mean, it's just been so crazy, but he's kept grinding and, and been with the team. And we've seen him with guys over the summer, you know, at the camps, visiting the camps. Uh, and then we saw him at practice. You mentioned this on the last pod. He was at every single practice we were at for most of the year, just as an observer, just standing around watching. And then I think for the pre-bowl here and, and down in Atlanta, we actually saw him in workout gear, not practice clothes, you know, not like he was going to play, but as if he was actually working out really hard, working up a sweat. And, you know, he's obviously been through a lot. James Franklin obviously has a soft spot for him, but the guy came in in a bowl game and did some unbelievable things a couple years ago. And that's the opportunity to be kind of a bonus piece for you when you're losing what you're losing at defensive end. This guy was, you know, the word on him in high school was kind of, you're catching a basketball athlete at, 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 on the football field, at defensive end trajectories pointing up. 
He gets to campus. I believe he shared a developmental squad defensive player of the year honors in 2019 with Daquan Hardy, whatever happened to him. Um, you know, and then you got to see him a little bit in 2020 and 2021. I think he played like every game in 2021 um, as, 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 a, as, a, as a depth piece on the defensive spot. And we entered 2022 with him among those names that, okay, let's see if he emerges. It's, it's time to see if he's going to show up and finish his career with, with some strong play. Didn't play a single regular season game in 2022, uh, and 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 then we see him get a little bit of, of work against Utah in the Rose Bowl, and then for different reasons, injury reasons, in 2023, not available to the team. So we're still working off of that one half against uh, you know Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, which feels like a completely different Penn State football program. I don't. Re- it's like hard to remember anyone else who's still with the team from then uh, on the roster, and yet here he is, someone we're going to be talking about. Um, but because of what we've addressed at defensive end, you don't need Smith Vilbert to come out and, and finish his career with a major uh, punctuation mark. But the door is open for this to be a really cool finish to the process uh, that was frustrating at times for both Smith Vilbert and Penn State and, and for it to be mutual beneficial in year six. Uh, pretty cool to see happen in, in modern college football, uh, but a ways to go to see if it does happen here for, for both parties. Um, some of the names that are still there, by the way, Keandre Lambert-Smith and all the receivers. Uh, who are with this team at the Peach Bowl. Uh, they are still on this roster. We're still monitoring day to day here. Remember, also grad transfers can enter the portal anytime, whether it's someone that Penn State might be looking to pluck from another roster or someone that might be looking to leave Penn State. They're not restricted to windows. And, and the one guy who did leave that receiver room, Christian Driver, he has resurfaced in the Big Ten. He will be playing uh, for the Minnesota Golden Gophers in 2024. A few names that are off the roster as we were looking through things on Tuesday. Um, one scholarship guy that, that we noted there, Ibrahim Traore, spent four years with the program. Um, he was a really cool story. He took a bus from New York City to State College for a summer prospect camp um, back in 2019, the summer. Spent that day under the intense scrutiny of Penn State coaches who loaded him up with reps. He got an offer to finish off the day. He ended up joining that recruiting class. And you know, lo and behold, that five-man offensive line recruiting class now has not – it has produced an All-American in Olu Fashionu. It has produced a guy who's going to be contending for a role with you next year in Nick Dawkins. And Nick Dawkins has been a depth piece for you for a couple of years now, injured in 2022. But the others in that group were Jimmy Christ, who, who left the, via the portal last year and, and to continue his career at Virginia. Uh, Ibrahim Traore, who has really was a scout team component for you in recent years. And then Golden Israel Achumba, who's kind of also filled that scout team role. Uh, he also remains on the team. So just that 2020 class followed up by a 2021 offensive line class, which consisted of Nate Bruce, very quickly left the program. And then Lennon Tengwell, who had to retire before his career could really get going. You stack those two classes together and you really appreciate what Phil Troutline has done with that group. And Tank Smith, by the way, there's a few walk-ons. I'm sorry, we're not going to go through the entire list of who's on the roster, but Tank Smith, probably the most notable because fans have seen him play quite a bit of Penn State football at running back as a walk-on player. A uh, bit of a fan favorite, four seasons with the Nittany Lions and not on the roster. So if this is it for him, I think he got to fulfill something pretty cool here uh, with some bull trips and, and some, some some run in some of these postseason games as well over the course. So I think we're all caught up on the roster, Daniel. Did I miss anything? Because I, I know you were the one actually going through it with the comb this morning. Yeah, I mean, the the Mason Stahl disrespect uh, st- stands out. but uh, <laughs> Very nearly started at quarterback for this team against Rutgers in 2021. We'll tell that story till the end of time. One of the great what-ifs uh, in yeah. Penn State history. 
that's it. So that, that's all. That's that, that's what we've got from the roster right now. Uh, and uh, we've got a ton going on lines247.com with the transfer portal and with the uh, recruiting additions that have now become freshman class additions. So let's finish our conversation here, guys, with basketball, um, because Penn State earned it uh, Sunday. They were able to charge back, come away with a victory over Michigan and Philadelphia at the Palestra. And I know that for both of you and really anyone who covers college basketball, it's a pilgrimage of sorts to get a chance to see a matchup in that building. So for Penn State to pull out a win like this in a setting like that against the Big Ten Conference opponent, Mark, what did it mean on Sunday before we talk about what it might mean moving forward? Well, I think you go, have to go back before Sunday to, to say what that win was all about because they were coming off of a 30-point loss at Michigan State who turned around and lost to Northwestern who had lost to Illinois by 30. So it's gonna, my point being, it's going to be that kind of season in the Big Ten. And if you hope to do anything, and I think it's a stretch to think that this team is going to be a title or a top half of the Big Ten contender. I just don't think that it's viable this year. With all due respect to what they're doing, I think they're doing a nice job with what they have. But you're going to have to be resilient. So we saw it earlier this year, right, when Penn State has that horrendous loss to Bucknell, goes down to Maryland, loses a heartbreaker in overtime to Maryland, and then bounce, bounces back and beats what has turned out to be a pretty good Ohio State team. And now you go and you're embarrassed at Michigan State by a very average Michigan State team, and you turn around and listen. This isn't going to be mistaken for the Fab Five Michigan team. I mean, it's it's having its own issues. It's in its own state of disarray. But you play pretty poorly in the first half, and it was really weird because the crowd down there was unbelievable. I put this in our in-game thread. They were just waiting for something, anything to rally behind, and then in the second half. Penn State kind of put all of that behind it and, you know, amp things up. You know, you make a couple threes, you, you force a few turnovers, the crowd gets into it, and that was actually a more comfortable win than the final score indicated. I mean, Penn State, once it took control of that game, you you weren't really thinking, oh, boy, you know, they could really blow this thing. I mean, I think Michigan, it, it, maybe that had to do with Michigan, you know, being in the kind of slump that it's in. But make no mistake, Michigan has some unbelievable players. So I think resiliency, and I was able, as you know, as we re record this on uh, Tuesday, uh, we talked to Mike Rhodes earlier, and I was able to ask him about that resiliency, and he talked about how important it is that, you know, maybe it's not something that you necessarily coach into them, but you kind of just have to develop as a team. And I think the fact that they have that is going to bode well because we've seen with this Penn State team in the past eight or ten years where they have gotten into a slide in early January where they let one win, one loss become two, become three, become four, become ten. I mean, we've seen that happen. And to bounce back, and you know, now you have what should be a winnable game against Northwestern, and then things get a little bit tougher. But just to show that resiliency in what's clearly a rebuilding year, I think is a positive and a, and a very good reflection on what Mike Rhodes is doing and that these players have bought into it because – Frankly, after that 30-point loss and after playing poorly in the first half against Michigan, it would have been easy for those guys to say, ah, you know what, things just aren't going our way. We're not supposed to be any good. But they didn't. They came back, used the crowd to their advantage, and it worked out well. Daniel, were you surprised by how the second half played out? Um, and what do you think ultimately is credited or who 
uh, is credited for providing the spark that led to a, a fire and, and, and ultimately win. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd say I was super surprised with how the second half went. I mean, it, it took me a little bit. Like there was the, there's a stretch in the first half where I think Penn State got it down. They're down by 10, got it to five. Michigan immediately went on a 7-0 run. And I was kind of like, oh, like that might be it. But I think when you factor in the the team that they were playing, um, you know, this Michigan team has had an up and down year. Um, they're, you know, they're like Mark said, they're going through their own turmoil. So it was definitely a team that when you're down ten, you know, you still know that that you're in it. That's still a team that can be had uh, with Michigan. But I, I think in terms of the guys that stood out to me in that game, I, I think that that was probably the most complete Ace Baldwin game we've seen since he's been here. Uh, he he scored 25 points, uh, second most since he came to Penn State. Um, he was asked after the game if that was his, his best game um, since he's been here. And he said that, and it was kind of posed to him as, you scored a lot of points. Was, was this your best game? And he said that he wouldn't consider it his best game and he wouldn't factor in scoring. Uh, when when thinking about what his best game is, um, I think that he's someone that we've seen it that he is really able to affect the game in a lot of ways. Uh, he and Clary and the, Kanye Clary in the second half uh, really got going and were just absolute menaces defensively. Um, you know, Michigan had a ton of trouble uh, against that defense and against that press, and that led to some easy baskets. But I think Ace Baldwin really stood out to me. I, I think that he is someone who is kind of slowly but surely. Uh, figuring it out. I think that we all expected him to be a little bit more plug and play than he has been. But even when you're a, a fourth year senior who has been an A10 player of the year, defensive player of the year, you can still have growing pains. You can still need to adjust to different things. So I, I think we're starting to see Ace Baldwin, you know, potentially come into his own a little bit. Um, and the other guy that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention was DeMarco Dunn. Um, he had a little his own little 8-0 run uh, as part of a bigger run where he had back-to-back three-pointers and then got a steal and and laid it in in transition. I mean, I think that uh, we've, we've seen it on our boards. People want to see him in the starting lineup. Um, Mike Rhodes today said that he is good enough to start for them, but they like him coming off the bench. He's embracing that role, and they like having that little bit of punch uh, in that second unit with Dunn. So I think that he's someone that coming into the year – I was really excited about, um, and I think these past couple of games, we've really, really seen him kind of tease his potential there a little bit. Mark, uh, Ace Baldwin with 25 against Michigan, that snapped a six-game streak where Kanye Clary is the leading scorer for the Nittany Lions. I know there's been some some discussion this season about how those two are maybe complicating, complementing each other or maybe complicating each other a little bit uh, in terms of roles. How do you see Clary and Baldwin um, and Rhodes working together to try to find the best way to share the court? And do you think that you see signs of, of tangible progress that, that leads you to believe Penn State has bigger things ahead offensively? Well, we did against Michigan, but against Michigan State, um, you know, Ace Baldwin had two points, didn't make a field goal. So I think the impetus – Clary has turned out to be a better player than I think any of us would have guessed. I don't want to speak for Daniel, but you know, I I thought he could be much better than last year, but not like this. But the he's a guy who is a creator, and so the impetus is going to be on Ace Baldwin, and it has been to adjust his game to what Clary does because Ace is also a creator, but he can do it in di- different ways. He doesn't necessarily have to be the guy who's dribbling and taking it to the basket every single time. He could be the guy who's 
throwing the hockey assist or bringing the ball to the floor or stealing the ball and setting things up. Uh, so I just think that's, you know, one of the, one of the real keys. I think Ace is the veteran and he's going to have to adjust his game to what Clary does, because frankly, in that game, you know, Clary was like horrendous in the first half. I don't have the stats here in front of me, but I, I was of the opinion, just keep shooting because sooner or later they're going to keep going. And he just, he needs to, to maintain that confidence. They're going to need him to score. Let's put it this way. As Daniel said, with Ace Baldwin, he doesn't have to score for Penn State to win. Kanye Clary has to score for Penn State to win. Like if he's held to zero points, they're they're, they're going to be in trouble, which they were against VCU when when he was beat up. So I just think that Ace can do so many different things that he has to adjust his game. And as the veteran, I think it's been pretty cool that he's been willing to do that, and he's not sulked when it hasn't necessarily happened. I think the thing with both guys, and I could bring it up here. Yeah, both guys, they were 20 of 26 from the line, the team, Penn State, against against Michigan. And it had been a while since they had shot that many. Both guys have to keep attacking the rim, even if you have shots blocked. Because even if you're not scoring, you're ultimately going to get fouled. And in that game, Baldwin was 9 of 10 from the line, and Clary was, was 6 of 8. So you have your two guards, you know, shooting 18 free throws and making 14 of them. I mean, that's that's how you keep both guys involved. But I think it can work. I mean, it has to work because they're two of their best players. The other guy I like to throw out here, because I was shocked by this, is, you know, Zach Hicks, if you look at his numbers, it, they have not been great as a starter, but his overall plus minus is the best on the team at more than plus 80. Now, you can say that the plus minus isn't a big deal in an individual game, and I'll agree with you because it all it is it could be just who you happen to be out there with at a given time. But over the course of the season, that's an important number. And the reason I bring that up is because for everybody who's saying DeMarco Dunn should be starting, you know, Hicks isn't really hurting you overall. And now all of a sudden you're able to bring this guy Dunn off the bench and give you offense off the bench when you otherwise might not be getting it. So I think that that may be a thing that they actually stick with, knowing that even though the numbers look kind of empty game to game from Hicks, over the course of the season, it's been proven that they're a good team when he's out there. So whatever the hell he's doing, if he's setting screens or passing or, you know, again, hockey assists or keeping guys honest with the threat of a three-point shot, even though he's not making a ton of them, that may give them the luxury of continuing to bring Dunn off the bench. And Dunn, to his credit, has seemed completely happy, you know, filling that role, um, you know, coming off the bench. He doesn't, none of these guys seem to be just their body language and whatnot. There was a time in the first half where I thought things looked like they were getting to ace a little bit. But then, you know, they come out in the second half and he's leading the charge, you know, offensively and defensively. So I think it says a lot about him. Uh, a team largely defined by by transfer portal pickups. That's Kanye Clary leading the way right now. 18.4 points per game, about 48% on field goal percentage. Ace Baldwin next up, 13.6 uh, points per game on 37% uh, field goal percentage. Uh, Daniel, when I look ahead here, the next five opponents have a record of at least 11-3. and three. You've got the number one team uh, in rankings right now in Purdue, number 15, uh, Wisconsin. Each of those matchups here in, in the next seven or eight days uh, the first one uh, up ahead is Northwestern at home Wednesday evening. 
But when you look at this next four or five game sample size, that, that's going to take them really into deep January and kind of determine where they're at in the Big Ten standings when people start to really start taking stock of this conference. What do you think are are the attainable goals that, that could be set for Penn State? Yeah, I mean, uh, while you were talking, I, I pulled up Ken Palm to look at the uh, look at the schedule, and it looks like we've got a bunch of L's uh, there until we get to the end of February, and even mm. that is a projection of a, a one point win. Um, so I, I think that you know Mike Rhodes has kind of acknowledged that this is a year one thing. This is an uphill climb. Um, they know that it's not going to be easy. At the same time, though, I, I think that they've shown that they can compete in the Big Ten, and I think that's what you want to see from them, um, th this kind of competitiveness, to go down big against Ohio State, come all the way back, to go down big against Michigan and get back. Um, I do think that you would like to see them not have to get down in, in order to come back and win a game. You would maybe in conference play would like to see a, more of a wire-to-wire -wire type deal um, or, or something where it's a competitive you know, close game for the duration instead of you know having these big swings, but it's a big group of veterans who are really learning to play each, to play with each other. Um, I think that it's a group too that has stood out to me where they're never really they don't get they're not scared of anything. You know, I think that that comes from Ace Baldwin where nothing really phases that guy, um, and I think that if he continues playing like that, it's it's really going to help. Um, the, the Big Ten is just full of challenges on a on a week to week basis, but. I think early on Penn state though has kind of established themselves as one of those teams that, you know, it, it might not be the the most uh, fun or, or good for your, your heart to have a, you know, kind of a team that is so game to game, what you're going to get. Um, but I, I think when the whole league is like that, it gives you the opportunity to steal a couple games that maybe you shouldn't um, to maybe get a little bit of momentum going and, and see what you can turn that into. But I mean, I, I still think that this team has a lot of work to do and is, it's going to be a real, real uphill climb uh, to even get onto like the NCAA tournament bubble. It's going to be a climb to get off of that first day um, of the big 10 tournament to get out of that bottom four. But I do think that these pieces that they have and starting to see it gel a little bit and, I think that Rhodes is someone who can get them to believe that they can accomplish these things. Uh, and I think that that's something that can carry you, uh, you know, pretty far. Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan will be on the coverage for Penn State basketball all season long. Matchup again uh, Wednesday evening in the BJC as they look to build off that finish in Philadelphia from Sunday. All right, fellas, appreciate the perspective on all sorts of stuff today. This episode of the podcast. Talk to you both real soon. Thanks, yeah. Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Great stuff from Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallant, as usual. Before them, we had Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting expert and transfer portal insider. He's been all over it for lines247.com. Uh, we will continue to keep tabs on that transfer portal. Something tells me we'll have more to discuss by the time we sit down for our next episode. We're also, as I alluded to a few times on this edition, we're going to spend a little bit more time working our way through that first wave of freshman players who have recently joined Penn State football, just working their way through those day ones of classes, making uh, new friends uh, beyond the football program, all that kind of stuff that we all experienced in week one. Now, uh, imagine doing that your first time on campus as a member of the Penn State football program, and you finished up high school five months before 
graduation and before prom. Uh, there's a lot going on in these young men's brains, and it's always interesting to see how they come out the other end of it uh, once the team takes shape in August and September. But a lot to learn about that freshman group. We'll get started on that more for our next podcast. We have a bunch of insightful guests, we hope, to join us this winter on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, hope to have one of them on our next episode as well to help further along the conversation. For now, stepping aside, thanks to my colleagues here at Lions247.com. Thank you to our listeners and our viewers. I am Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.